The resurrection of the crucified Jesus brings transformation, a truth we celebrate every Sunday. But then Monday arrives with its unrelenting demands and distractions. In view of this perennial challenge, we invite you to join us for the day after Sunday, a weekly discussion between a preacher, Chris Costaldo, and a music guy, Greg Wheatley, on the implication of Christ's kingdom for everyday life. And we are back with another podcast of the day after Sunday. Greg Wheatley on this side of the table and Chris Costaldo over there. Great to be with you, Greg. Good to be back. And uh, I just think, it, we, you know, we've had some bumps in the road on this podcast thing. <laughs> Our technology has thrown us for a loop it once has. or twice. Yeah, we're not, uh, neither of us are probably, uh, you know, going to make a living at tech, in the tech services Thank God sector. for those who do it. Yeah, and some of them are your offspring. They are. Yeah, there's are. one over here to your right, mm-hmm. and we've got another one of your kids. And it, uh, It's an underappreciated role, I'm afraid. Yeah. Because we expect for technology to always work. We do, don't we? And when it yeah. does it, we yeah. sort of stare at the guy who's working feverishly. And yeah. God bless him. Yeah, but here we are. So keep talking while it lasts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, we thought we would talk, uh, especially in the wake of... Um, this high point of the church here. We've just come through Easter. Uh, we've celebrated the, the resurrection of Christ. We thought we'd talk a little bit about um, what it means to propagate this good news. Yep. The word is evangelism, the word that strikes fear in every Christian's heart, right? <laughs> yeah. We're meeting our neighbors again, having conversation over the fence. So how can we approach those conversations in a way that is intentional? Hmm. And you actually worked specifically in evangelism. That's right. For yeah. a while, you were with the the Billy Graham uh, Evangelistic. Uh, well, the, the, well, I was with the Billy, the Graham, Billy Graham Center Center in Wheaton, Wheaton College, and yeah. then at College Church prior to yeah. that as that the evangelism pastor. Yeah. yeah. So, what do you find? I'm sure you talked to a lot of people in those years, lay people, who have probably said to you in one form or another, "This thing scares me to death." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Sometimes we see evangelism as apologetics. This person with whom I'm speaking will ask hard questions. And I'm not a theologian, a person says, or or I don't have all the answers. And goodness, who among us does? So it's, it's naturally a, a fearful enterprise uh, when we see it in that light. But I would suggest there are better ways of understanding our call to Christian witness. Hmm. So that model that you just described is almost like I got to be the teacher, I got to be the answer man, mm-hmm. um, I'm sort of the dispenser of facts. Um, and you're suggesting maybe there's a a less pressurized way to view it. Well, there there is a cognitive dimension that is important. You know, there are certain ideas that we need to convey. Uh, sometimes you hear people say, for example, um, preach the gospel and use words if necessary, yeah, yeah. Uh, attributed to Francis of Assisi. Uh, only two problems with that. One, uh, Francis didn't say it, and number two, <laughs> it's bad theology yeah. <laughs> uh, because there needs to be a verbal witness. Yeah. You know, But having said that, there's a lot more that goes into a conversation about the gospel. It's predicated on relationship, good listening, manifesting the love of Christ. So we need to have a holistic understanding of this call. Hmm. Is it possible, Chris, that sometimes, um, and, and I want to I say this the right way, but um, is it possible that part of our reticence is because deep, way deep down inside, we haven't really deeply internalized 
the life and death dimension of this? I mean, we, we, we know that, and we, yeah. we say we believe it, and we got all those right answers. But if we really thought, you know, sometimes the example is given. If you had a cure to cancer, you would, you'd share it in a minute. I mean, you wouldn't keep that to yourself. So why is it we, here we say this is, this is the life and death answer for eternity? Yeah. Do we believe that men and women outside of yeah. Christ yeah. are really headed to hell? Yeah. And uh, it seems like very often we go through our day without any awareness of that fact. Hmm. You go to a funeral of someone who's not been to church in a decade, and it, there's, there's the natural discussion about uh, seeing this person in heaven. I mean, you might not say that, but you hear it. It's, it's axiomatic hmm. that... Uh, good people, or at least those who aren't as bad as Hitler, are going to somehow make it, and and that uh, is incorrect, and and it unwittingly undermines the mindset we need if we are going to be an intentional witness. Yeah, the other thing too, maybe related to that, is the idea that um, we haven't fully lived in uh, this. This is sort of the flip side. You know, this is not just avoiding hell. This is saying what an amazing thing God has done in Christ. And maybe we haven't really sat with that long enough to say, wow, this is incredible. Yeah. Uh, I had a friend during seminary, and uh, it was actually my friend's wife who had gotten uh, saved later as an adult, and she had this marvelous testimony. And uh, the way she described it was in terms of walking out of a cave. She said, I was in darkness. I had no hope. My life was full of fear and anxiety. And one day a friend articulated the good news of Jesus, uh, that Christ died for my sins and was raised from the dead and now lives. And it was as though I walked out of a dark cave into the brightness of the noonday sun. Mm -hmm. And my eyes began to blink. And I've never quite gotten perspective on how glorious is that light. Yeah. And somebody like that is probably going to be more prone to share that than perhaps some who have grown complacent um, and said, well, yeah, I know I'm saved and I know I've, but, you know, um, it's been a lot of years and I've gotten used to it in a sense, right? Have you been with someone who has come to faith recently, who who's just exuded mm-hmm. enthusiasm for their faith and wanting to tell everyone about it. You meet these people, and it's it's a bit convicting. I mean, it sort of reminds you of <laughs> they, those they, early they days. They get all this exuberance. Yeah. I remember uh, our mutual friend, Kent Hughes, I remember one of the phrases he would use from time to time, sometimes in prayer, actually, as I recall, would be that he would say, and we'll spend eternity getting over it. Hmm. Um, in hmm. other words, God, we will never get over this thing you've done for us. Um, and I think I think probably there's a correlation between how much we get that and how much we might be burning on the inside to tell somebody else about it. Yeah. I think there are other obstacles as well. I think we have misconceptions uh, that pertain to our own role. Uh, So I mentioned the apologetic dimension. Uh, The other idea that I commonly hear is the reduction of evangelism to one specific ministry, specialized ministry in the church. Uh, And it's only those who have a particular gift, namely the gift of evangelism, who do it. Um, But, you know, just read the book of Acts where our Lord Jesus says in chapter 1 to his disciples, you shall be my witnesses. Mm -hmm. So that evangelism isn't one ministry option among many. It really does strike at the heart of who we are. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and this idea that, um, as you said, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, not, you know, he didn't lay out some program, uh, and now go learn this and do this, and then when you got it, you'll be ready to go out. Mm-hmm. And it was, they had seen they had seen these incredible events. Yeah. They were eyewitnesses and he said you're going to you're going to tell about it, right? In all of, of his ministry, Jesus shined forth as the light of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are children of light who are in Christ and have this very same privilege uh, empowered by the spirit to say and do things that uh, direct people's attention heavenward to see the reality of the God who operates through his people. Can I suggest another barrier that might be there? And that is, you, you kind of had a different twist on this a minute ago, the idea that we tend to think that it's a, a an event. Mm. So in other words, it's like making a sale. Um, well, if I talk to someone about uh, Christ and they don't make a decision, well, that one was a failure. Yeah. Instead of viewing it as perhaps you're one piece in a bigger puzzle, um, and all you're called to do is bear witness, right? Yeah, I was a salesman for years, and then I came to Christ. And I can remember uh, being on an airplane in business and having the person next to me and praying, okay, I'm sure, the good news, and being a nervous wreck. And, and as I think about it, my mindset then was, well, I've got to be really articulate and compelling and persuasive mm-hmm. so this person will choose Christ. And if I don't do a good job at that, then this person may be worse off because now they've heard the gospel and they haven't decided and they're, you know, Dante's Inferno that are lower ring of hell because of me, because I'm inarticulate. And all of that's predicated on the on the lie that salvation is ultimately a matter of someone's uh, choice uh, when in fact it is divine sovereignty, mm-hmm. sovereign grace that extends through the message and is the the cause of faith. Some of, yeah, some of this really is about our view of God's sovereignty, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And his role in our salvation as opposed to human volition, right? And, and where we put the weight. Yeah, I right? found it wonderfully liberating yeah. the day when I realized that salvation is not based on what I do fully and finally. Uh, there, there are things we're called to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Um but it is the sovereign God who's orchestrating life's events uh, that is ultimately responsible. What about, I was thinking about this uh, as, as you were saying some of those other things. Um, you mentioned the, the quote that's attributed to Francis, which really isn't his, about preach the gospel and if necessary use words. Um, what about, though, we, we do need words. It's a, it's a content-filled gospel, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what about the idea of the beauty of the gospel, um, beautifying the gospel, not only with our lives, but maybe in things we do, um, in causing people to be drawn to that gospel in preparation for hearing the, the, the actual verbal content? Yeah. When I talk about evangelism here at New Covenant Church, I often do so with the language of embodying and proclaiming because we want to keep those two things together. We don't just want to talk at people, you know, but we, we want to manifest the virtue of Christ in meaningful ways. And so that means service. Uh, that means being a good listener. It means expen- extending uh, courtesy and respect 
toward others. But there's another piece of it, and it's what I heard you just say, Greg, uh, what Francis Schaeffer called pre-evangelism, mm-hmm. that the person who knows little to nothing about the gospel is so far away from making a decision that we do well to help them understand. And one of the chief ways in which we do that is by showing them the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, Chris, about something that... Um Let's say we have a person who really is quite willing to share the gospel. That's not their issue. They're, they're verbal. They like people. They're not shy. And maybe they're really kind of, kind of that salesman type person. So we got over that hurdle. Talk a little bit about the pitfalls of what it is we share. Because I think, I think it's possible to sort of get the gospel Mm-hmm. but kind of get it wrong. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that person isn't a believer, but they may be a little less than precise about what the gospel really is. Yeah, when we were together at College Church years ago, uh, I was on staff there. One of my responsibilities was to arrange the monthly eye-opener testimony. It's yeah. a fantastic thing. Someone gets up on a Sunday morning and testifies to what God has done. Very often it's a conversion testimony. So my role as pastor of that was to sit down with the person in advance and help them to formulate their message. And it always started with, okay, so let's hear you, you know, describe the gospel. Very interesting what people mm-hmm. would say, what they wouldn't say. And, and it had to do often with, you know, uh, well, how my life has changed and what it means to me and all of that's important. But there was no mention, here's the point, no mention of what Jesus has done. Mm-hmm. And my contention is in order for it to be gospel witness, there must be an explicit statement about Jesus' substitutionary death upon the cross and his victorious resurrection. We also, I think, live in a time where some people call it therapeutic age, where um, a lot of what we're concerned with tends to be what something does for me. You know, now I have peace. I didn't have it before. My family relationships have taken a huge jump. Um, And as you said, nothing wrong with that. And God does do those things. That's not the gospel, is it? Yeah, Paul the Apostle in Romans 1 talks about this message of the gospel being the power of God unto salvation. There's something that happens when we express that truth. The Holy Spirit operates through those words in a way that we don't understand, but but is life changing. Now I'm going to ask sort of a uh, one of those ouchy questions. We may offend somebody with this one, right? But that's where, uh, why not? It's okay. Why not? Yeah. Um, what do you think about evangelistic methods? Mm-hmm. Do you have a particular one yeah, in mind? Not that I'm going to verbalize. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to step in it first, you or me? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, just this idea that um, it, it sort of is a methodological, uh, you need to learn this before you can go out and, and uh, evangelize. Right. So having a, f- a framework, you know, Romans Road, uh, a, a certain um, way to get from the starting point, the human problem of sin, to the, the message itself, I think is good. Um, but we need to look at those methods and A, make sure that they are faithful to Scripture, and B, make sure they're relevant. You know, so one of the popular methods from um, recent decades has been evangelism explosion. You are going to name them. I am going to name them. Yeah, I, I well, out. we want to be helpful, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, my dad is a teacher of EE, you know, used to do that. And um, we would have these conversations. And uh, he would enthusiastically express how effective 
he has found it, and that's that's great. But my concern, though, is that when you go to someone, you ask one of the diagnostic questions. You know, if you would stand before God and He would ask you why I should let you into my heaven, what would you say? Um, in a in a culture that is so post Christian and uh, very often doesn't know what what you mean by God, yeah. uh, then we are assuming more than we can afford to mm-hmm. in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that would be an example mm-hmm. of a method that is perhaps not quite suited for a particular cultural moment. Which brings up, maybe we'll do another podcast sometime, but th- that brings up a whole another can of worms about our culture and how it might be different than when, say, I grew up. Um, back in the 60s, I think probably we've moved a fair amount between 1960s and now in our cultural awareness of, of spiritual things. Mm-hmm. And so that all that all fits in there, doesn't it? It yeah. does it. You know, to be a good listener, to just ask people what they believe concerning the afterlife. Where do you find peace? You know, think about the felt needs that we all have. Where do you find tranquility in the midst of a stressful world? And letting people talk to you. You know, when you do that, uh, the law of reciprocity eventually kicks in. And you will have a chance then to explain what you understand to be truth. And that is the kind of interchange in which evangelism will flourish. Do you find, uh, and you're too young to go back to the 60s, so we won't ask you to do that. Do you find over your years of dealing with this, Chris, that the questions have changed? I mean, the, the questions from people the unbelievers who are perhaps skeptical. Yeah, I think so. Have those questions changed? I think so. There's another method out there, and I would name it if I can remember what it's called, but um, it's aimed at presenting the law. You've got to express the Ten Commandments so as to demonstrate to people that they are sinners, that they are guilty. And just talk about the Ten Commandments, right? Because who among us hasn't lied at some point? And make it clear. And then when a person uh, is facing their you guilt, feel the weight of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they will be prepared. This is uh, Ray Comfort, yeah. I think, is one yeah. who uh, popularized this. Uh, it has a, a compelling logic to it, right? I think it should um, be Ray Discomfort, actually. Well, <laughs> that's, the, that's the intention. It <laughs> is. Right. Uh, but it goes somewhere, and yeah. it goes to the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Luther's law-gospel contrast right. is, is part of this picture. The problem, though, it seems to me, is that most people today are not thinking in terms of guilt. That's not the felt need. Now, do we need to get there eventually? I think so, Mm because I think it is integral to the gospel message. That's right. That's why Jesus came. Um, But where do you start the conversation? Mm -hmm. And I would suggest let's begin with a felt need, uh, such as anxiety or fear or depression, and help a person recognize that they need help, they need God, and lead them in that direction. What you're saying, really, the, the, the good evangelist is going to be a student of culture yeah, as well as a student of the scriptures, right? And, and don't we see that in the example of Jesus himself? Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, there he is with the woman at the well, and he talks about her life situation and, and masterfully guides the conversation in this direction of her need for eternal life. What would you say to the person who comes to you and says, um, I'm, I'm not good at this, I'm not an evangelist, um, I know I need to be? How would you get them kind of started down the road? Yeah. So you said something earlier I want to uh, return to in, in, in this respect. 
I see evangelism as seed planting. You are saying things about God that help another person understand his love and his grace. So what would I say to the person who's intimidated? I would say, yeah, you may not be in a position right now to engage in a full-scale apologetic interchange, but surely there's something you could say that highlights the way God is working in your life. Mm -hmm. And there's no telling how the Lord would use that. The other thing I'll say, too, is invite that other person to tell you what they believe about God and salvation. And here's why. Very often, the, the unchurched person does not have the opportunity to articulate mm-hmm. what exactly they believe. And what happens is they, they express it, and those words that, that they speak are words that they haven't spoken before, perhaps. They may surprise themselves. They might surprise <laughs> themselves. And that night, yeah. when they put yeah. their head on their pillow, there's a good chance that the the Spirit can bring those words back to mm-hmm. mind. And there is no telling what God might do in that moment of recollection. That's a great observation, yeah. Because as with any part of life, when we articulate something, we understand quickly whether we've got it straighter. I mean, you kind of self-reveal when you uh, start articulating. Let me ask you this, uh, just as we're running out of time here. Um, It always seemed to me, uh, I think, that evangelism was to be done, that was to be done outside the church. So we, we meet in church Uh, as Christians to worship, one ought to, whether one is or not, one ought to be evangelizing outside the walls. Has there been a little bit of a change in that? Are some theologians now beginning to understand the importance of actually inviting people into church community as witness? Um, Yeah. You know what I'm getting at? Yeah, Uh, right. So earlier we used the term uh, pre-evangelism, and very often uh, what you're describing is uh, observed in connection with with this realization that there are people out there who are not yet ready to respond to the message. So we would invite them into our community and let them see the life of Christ yeah. in our midst. Let Some them of the be church planting models are kind of going with that, right? With mm-hmm. that idea? Yeah, and again, yeah. In, in a culture that deeply values community and relationship, mm-hmm. I think this is an appropriate way to connect. So we have people here, we have people at New Covenant uh, who are not explicitly Christian, who are in process. Mm-hmm. Praise God, yeah. I love that they're yeah. among us and we have genuine relationship. You know, I, not for a moment do I want to sound condescending or disrespectful, right. Right. it's real relationship. And they are having opportunity to hear God's truth from week to week. Yeah. This has been a good discussion. Yeah, thank you, Glad we got those tech problems fixed. (laughs) We'll try to keep them fixed. Uh, We need to invite people. Speaking of New Covenant Church, we sure would love to have people come. We would indeed. And we're we're here in the middle of Naperville, the corner of South Washington and 75th Street, tall, steepled building. Worship begins at 1030 a.m. on Sunday morning. We would love to meet you. We would. So come and and check it out. And... uh, Who knows what the next podcast will hold? We'll find out. Yes, we will. All right. See you then. Thank you for joining us for the day after Sunday. We'd love to have you worship with us at New Covenant Church this Sunday morning at 1030 at the corner of South Washington and 75th Street in Naperville. And please join us next week for the day after Sunday.